Listeners, a few weeks ago, I asked you to tell me about your life-changing encounters, those chance, once-in-a-lifetime moments that alter the course of your life forever. Here's what a couple of you had to say. Sarah in North Carolina says, I was working at a brunch restaurant when a customer told me that they ran a postpartum doula agency and that they were looking for more employees. I went to their weekend training, learned all about the fourth trimester and how to help families through that time. I ended up taking a job with them, then went off on my own and did infant care nanny jobs. I've been doing this type of work for 10 years now. Before that, I didn't really know what direction I wanted to go. I was serving tables just as a way to make money. Now I love my job. Had I not been working that day or had that table not been mine, I don't know if I would have found that opportunity. And Jenny shares, I fell deeply in love at 18, got married at 23, and when I was 26, he divorced me. That was the most devastating thing I thought could ever happen to me. I was sick for weeks. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I didn't even know who I was. Then something switched inside of me. This horrible thing gave me the freedom to discover what I really wanted. I sold my house, I packed up my car and dog, left the state, and ended up in Savannah. I have the life that I thought I never deserved to even want. I'm furiously happy, I'm so in love with myself, and it never would have happened if I hadn't gone through what I thought was the biggest tragedy I could ever experience. (laughs) Wow. Sarah and Jenny, thanks for sharing, and congratulations to both of you. I can so relate. I packed up my life and moved to Los Angeles on a whim because I went through a breakup and my two closest friends were moving, and I thought, well, I'll just go out there and hang out and lay low for a while, and then I'll just go back to Denver, which is where I'd been living. And while I was in L.A., (laughs) I was surrounded by all this opportunity to do stand-up. And so because I'd always secretly dreamed of doing stand-up, I got into it. And I've been here for almost 26 years doing stand-up comedy. And Jenny, I feel like so many people can relate to what you're saying in those moments when you think a breakup is just, there's no possible way to recover from it. There's no possible way to pick yourself up off the floor Of course, it's important to have that time when you're on the floor. But once you get up, the entire world is open to you. And I'm so happy that you found your way to where you are today. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was so fun to read that, to be reminded of how you really never know what's coming in life. All right. uh, Now on with the show. I, I need more information. That's I mean, the thing. This, we don't get more information. We just get this, this little blurb that comes This is a nightmare, you know? Tig. This is a nightmare. This, listen, I, this whole situation is a nightmare. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, and you're rolling the dice when you ask me for advice. Joining me today is an Emmy-nominated actor and comedian. 
You know her from Hacks on HBO Max, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Disney's Finding Dory. Her starring roles as Mickey in the Fox comedy The Mick and as Sweet D on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, now headed for its 16th season. Caitlin Olson. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, and welcome to Don't Ask Tig. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Do you remember where and how we met? Yeah, we met oh. on the Sklar Brothers. Yeah, what was it? Was it a? It was a web series. A web series. That's right. It was something. It was something, and uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed you. I and loved I you re- right away. I wanted to be best friends. Same, and then it just like went nowhere. But remember when they edited the web series into a feature film? Yeah, there was a premiere. Was there a premiere? There was a premiere. Did I go to it? You did. And so did somebody that represented you. Maybe your publicist or agent or manager or something. I walked up to you saying something rude or mean Uh or weird. Just a continuation of the way we had been treating each other on set. Yeah. And your rep. Were you grabbed? Your rep kind (laughs) of got in between me and you and was like, excuse me, you know. (laughs) Well, I don't know who that was, but they are fired. They're long fired. It was such an indication that I was so not anywhere in my career because I was at the premiere of a project I was in. That you were in? And your rep tried to have me removed. You were like, this is Tig. She's in the thing. This is my friend. I don't remember that, but my rep was probably just trying to make me feel important. You know what I mean? It was probably all very fake, just for my benefit. Right. Normally something I would love. Sorry that happened to you. I love that that happened, and (laughs) I've told it many times. (laughs) You were like, this is my friend, Tick. It would have been way funnier if I was like, thank you so much. Please remove this woman. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Curb Your Enthusiasm was the longest running show, but no, Always Sunny is. That's right. We're in the middle of shooting season 16 right now. That is insanity. Yeah, it's crazy. But I, we're doing a thing that Curb's doing, which is like, oh, we're all doing something else. We'll take a year or two off and then come back, mm. which is really smart because it makes it, it just keeps it fun. Nobody's sick of it. So you feel like that is the key to the longevity of the show? It's one of the keys. I mean- we all just are having so much fun. And I think that we recognize that it's just something so special when we uh, we go off and do another project. I think mm-hmm. we're all kind of like, okay, that was fun, but boy, are these hours long. And <laughs> it's just other projects are just so much more strenuous. We just crank out a day and we're there from like maybe seven to four or five. I'm home to make dinner for my kids. Wow. It's just kind of a dream job. So you genuinely have a blast doing it. I absolutely love it. And we shoot, you know, we're we're doing, right now we're doing eight, I think eight to 10 episodes a season. This year we're doing eight episodes. So it's not. A long. No, it's totally doable. Yeah. And we're so happy to see each other. And those guys are my, my best friends. They're so much fun to play with. And it's legitimately funny and fun. And we don't get burnt out. And we love our crew. Most of them have been with us this entire time. And yeah, it's kind of like going home. When you say they're all your friends, one of them is more than your friend. We're lovers. Yeah. More than one of us are lovers, strangely. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, I'm only lovers with the one publicly. 
Did you meet on the show? Yeah, he okay. hired me. He was technically my boss. Ah, so okay. that was spicy. This is Rob we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. You and Rob. Me and Rob. Kissing in a tree. Mm-hmm. Kissing in a trailer. You also, my understanding is that you're drawn to broken characters. Is this true? Well, I just find it funny. <laughs> I, just find, I just find somebody who's broken and like desperate to like climb back out of something by whatever means necessary. I just find that funny. And have you connected on on a personal level? Have you ever felt broken? Do you feel broken? I think right you're now broken. you think you feel like I'm broken. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I think for most of my childhood, I felt pretty broken. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like I wasn't like the the pretty one or the smart one. So I definitely was the one who got in a lot of accidents. So what do you, wait? What do you mean, got in a lot of accidents? Also, you're a very attractive person, that's, and you're a very funny person. And that's to be very funny, sweet. you've got to be somewhat intelligent. I'm speaking from experience. Okay, well, no, that's true. I'm pretty smart. Mm, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know, but don't you feel like the funniest people you know have backgrounds and childhoods were like messy and? I do, but also the most people have that. That's true, and some just buckle. But we rose to the occasion, you and I. Is that what you're saying? Or people aren't in the limelight. And so you don't necessarily know about them. Right. People like to say that if you're a comedian, you're probably, you know. A mess. Yeah, just all of that. And it's like. Not always. Don't you think that probably your mail carrier or your next door neighbor, <laughs> that other people They've are had it great. Clearly, everyone's fine except, <laughs> except comedians in the limelight. No, you're absolutely right. I think that most people have had hard moments and uh, things to overcome. Mm-hmm. I just know that for me personally, I mean, it's kind of a boring story. I've told a million times, but I was in like a pretty big accident when I was in the sixth grade, which was the end of elementary school, going into we called it junior high. Um, mm-hmm. which was a bigger school with more people. And, I, and where was this? This was in Tigard, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I got in this bike accident where I slammed on my front brakes going downhill and flew over the bike and landed on my face. And the bike mm-hmm. landed on my head and punched a big hole in my head. And so I was like surgery and shaved head and reconstructive surgery on my face. And my teeth were all like had to be put back together and my lip had to be fixed. Oh and gosh. it was, it, yeah, so... I, that was me going into seventh grade, which was <laughs> super attractive. Awesome time yeah. of childhood. Oh, too. yeah. The, 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 the boys went wild for me after that. <laughs> see, I didn't even have a terrible accident like that, and the boys went nuts for did me they? as well. Did they? Well, see? <laughs> no. Then you, you, you've disproved my theory. No, I uh, I did run around with a gaggle of dudes. Yeah. You know? I hung out with, like, the rocker dudes and stuff. Well, you were cool. No. You were cool. Yeah, I was cool. Yeah. Smoking and hanging. Ooh, out. that is cool. Yeah, I bet your lungs good. are pretty cool. Oh, man. Good thing I never ended up getting cancer, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you and Rob have been, you've been married, is it 15 years now? I've been counting oh, over the years. thank you for counting. Um, 14. Yeah. 14. One to grow on. One to grow on. Yeah. Do you have any marital advice uh, for listeners or for me? For you. How long have you been married? Well, Stephanie and I have been together 10 years okay. now. And we've been married. We're going on eight years. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just think, well, you got to give each other space. Mm -hmm. I think that people get married and then things start to bug them about that person. But then if you look back, those things were always there. You found it charming at one point. I think just remembering that like, okay, I knew this about this person going into it. Maybe lay off a bit. Yeah. Cut each other some slack. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't keep score. All that stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think so, for sure. Yeah, everybody's doing their best. And if they're, Mm. you know, if they're not, something's going on, just everybody relax. Yeah, there is that thing of like, this is who you marry. Um, These are the things you were drawn to, I'm assuming. Stephanie and I always talk about how, as so many people that are alive, whether they're married or not, change so much. And if you get stuck in this thought process of, why are you doing this? You never did that before. Wow, you've really changed. As though it's a bad thing. Yeah. And it's like, if I met Stephanie as she was 10 years ago right now, Mm -hmm. I would not marry her. Really? If she met, oh, for sure. If she met me 10 years ago right now, the 10 years ago, Tig, yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah. She wouldn't marry me. We've grown yeah. and changed so much. You're supposed to. It's good. Yeah. When people are like, oh my God, you've changed. It's like, well, I hope so. Absolutely. And yeah. I hope you're changing. You, well, yeah, you can't be stuck in that 25-year-old yeah. mentality forever. Change is really good, but it's really scary for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of what you want for your partner is to mm-hmm. to grow. You just ultimately hope that you're growing together together and allowing that space for the other person to grow. And there's going to be uh, growing pains along the way and like stuff that you're trying out that you decide, okay, you don't really actually want to do that. And you just sort of have to like have some grace with the other person and yeah, yeah, allow them some sure. space. Yeah. As far as space goes, we have this in common. Stephanie and I work together. Mm -hmm. We've written, produced, directed, acted in. We're always met with people asking, how do you do that? Me too. And we're always like, we actually love it. It's the best. I know. It's the best. It's the best. It's also how, is that how you met her? We were very minor roles in an indie film. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, now we have children and a production company. It's so exciting. Yeah. That's how Rob and I met. So everyone's like, oh, how do you guys work together? I'm like, I don't know. That's how we fell in love was working together. Yeah. Working with him is the best. He's the best showrunner I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that I loved about him. And I, I love working with him. I think he's got great ideas. It's not weird when he comes and gives me an acting note. I love it. He, you know. Yeah. When Stephanie has a note or she has an idea, I'm like, I got to hear this. Yeah, of course. This, yeah, yeah. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. I like your thoughts. And if it isn't, then I always say, eh, you do your thing. I'll do mine. Oh, yeah. Usually um, I'm like, okay, we might get divorced now. You know, something like that. Right. You should mm-hmm. probably go look for your own place. That's right. That's right. It's time. Are you ready to give my listeners some advice? Let's do it. I feel good about this. Yeah. That's why you're here. Okay. Aside from rekindling our best friendship. Yeah. We'll get, we'll circle back to that too. Yeah. We will circle back. Our first question involves a situation where two have become one. Mm. Casey writes, my partner and I are a same sex couple and we've been together for over 10 years. 
Sometimes we accidentally put on identical outfits. When this happens, we both feel like we're losing our separate identities, and one of us will usually change before we leave the house. Is this healthy behavior, or should we just accept that we are slowly morphing into one another? As a gay mother of twins, I think you might have a great perspective on this. This one's for you, lady. Rob and I rarely dress the same. That's not true, actually. Uh I will say the last time we got on a plane together, we were at the airport and realized we both had T-shirts, jackets, jeans, and the exact same uh, shoes. Some some Jordans. We both have. high heels. Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah. I love. Well, <laughs> personally, I love wearing high heels to an airport. Who does? <laughs> I have to say, Stephanie and I have very different styles, uh-huh. but there have been moments where we look over at each other as we're getting dressed, <laughs> and we're like, "Okay, this is this is hilarious." <laughs> Should we do it or not? Uh-huh. I guess what I don't understand is, can it just be hilarious? Yeah. And that it's not that you're losing your identities, that it's more of like, oh, this is so funny. Should we do this or not? Should we head out? And also, to be fair, Stephanie is somebody who has, from day one, been like, I am not opposed to our entire family dressed alike <laughs> and walking around in public. <laughs> and so... That my response is coming from being in a relationship where my wife would be thrilled if we all walked out in sailor suits. That's just, yeah, all dressed alike. And so I think that not thinking of it or taking on this situation with any sort of heaviness of like, oh my gosh, I'm losing my identity. And I would say more so take it easy breezy and maybe have a ridiculous day together. Yeah. Get some sailor suits. Get some sailor suits. I was just going to say, I don't think the sailor suit idea is a bad one. And I think they should lean <laughs> into it and maybe just fill their closets with only sailor suit stuff. So mm-hmm. that even if it's not the exact same, they're always like just sailors together. That's funny. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And sail right through it. Yeah, sail through it. Casey, Good luck to you and your twin slash spouse. (laughs) Caitlin, we're going to take a break, but then we'll return very soon with more listener questions. Hello. Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Way basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Way with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on Earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. 
you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos, and even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Caitlin, yes. are your ears pierced? I think they might be. Yes. Okay. Well, hoping that will give you invaluable insight for our next listener question. Okay. Faye writes, Dear Tig, my 12-year-old wants to get his ears pierced. Mm. My husband is worried he will change his mind and then have holes in his earlobes. Oh, boy. I hate to admit it, but my husband's also kind of old school when it comes to giving in to trends. Our son is a fun, kind, and great kid. I want to always guide him, but also allow him to freely be who he is. Do you think there's a right age to allow him to have his ears pierced? Thanks. I used to have my ears pierced, and then okay. my girlfriend years ago said, <laughs> Oh, no. Why do you have earrings on? And I said, I don't know. I just have worn <laughs> earrings forever. And she said... You look to me like one of those little babies that parents put earrings on so they know that they're a girl. <laughs> so that the public knows it's a girl. And when okay. she said that, it made me laugh so hard. And I said, you know what? I probably just started wearing earrings as a teenager because everybody else wore earrings. Yeah. And it does kind of indicate to people that I might be female. <laughs> When they take a quick glance. When they're not sure. Yeah. And I said, all right, well, I will take my earrings out if you take your belly button ring out. Oh. And she did. That's fair. On that note, I'm going to say that the holes left behind in your ears are so much more discreet than the hole left behind in her belly button, is my guess. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that because... I don't see anything wrong with letting your little boy get his ears pierced if he wants to get his ears pierced. If he changes his mind, he'll take them out. And it's the tiniest little hole. It's not like um, it's not like a tattoo. Yeah. And what I thought you were actually going to say. Go ahead and get that belly button pierced, too, while you're at it. <laughs> 12-year-old boy. And get a chain uh-huh. attached. Yeah. No, I thought you were going to say the hole that is left is much smaller than the hole left in his soul by being told no. Uh, oh, no, I'm not that yeah. poetic, but that was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if this man had a daughter who was 12, would he have mm-hmm. the same conundrum or, you know, there could there be a part of it that it's a boy? Yeah. Um, I, I have a 12 year old and he has a bunch of girlfriends at school who brought uh, earring stickers and he came home with big like I think one was a heart and one was some kind of gem stickers Mm -hmm. on his Mm -hmm. ears. 
And I was like, oh, those are cool. And he was like, yeah, aren't they great? Can I get my ears pierced? And I was like, sure. And then he just kind of forgot about it. But I don't really see any reason why, why not? Yeah, I don't think there's a problem with it because it is such a minor thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like saying no and having such a hard stance on that could make him push back in other ways that might be not as easy breezy. Harder to say yes to. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like this is one where you can kind of give in. It's not a tattoo. It's not a bigger, scarier piercing. Yeah. And maybe if you have access to your great grandmother's old clip-on earrings, oh. you could see if he wants to wear some clip-on pearls oh, or God. something. Yeah. I so, And that's a different <laughs> issue. If he does, then, then that's just a taste problem that he's got. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Faye, thank you for your piercing question. I think Caitlin and I are, are right when we say- We say go for it. Yeah. We're on your side. Your husband- needs to just chill out Mm -hmm. and maybe ask him what Caitlin asked about if it were a girl, would it be okay? Yeah. Because this girl, Tig, Mm -hmm. used to have ears pierced, don't anymore, and nobody notices. Not a problem. Your lobes look great. Yeah. You can see them from here. I'm famous for my lobes. Mm -hmm. All right, Caitlin, our next question comes from a listener in Portland. Oh, Maine or Oregon? Oh, Gosh. It's going to influence my answer. It's probably Oregon. It better be. Because I feel like Portland, Maine has to establish that they're Portland, Maine. Okay. You know? Okay. So there you are. All right. Peter writes, I had a very close friend and creative partner that I gradually distanced myself from because her husband is homophobic. I never told her why. Several years went by, and I finally reached out in an email that laid everything out on the table. She responded that my email was timely because she had recently realized that she had internalized homophobia from her religion's indoctrination, and she was trying to work through it. She invited me out to coffee to talk more, but I still felt too hurt by the arguments I had with her husband years earlier. I declined but wished her well in her journey. A few years have passed since that last exchange, and I still miss my friend and former collaborator. My husband thinks the best thing for me to do is just to move on. Another friend of mine thinks I should give her another chance in the spirit of friendship. What should I do? Oh, I have a somewhat similar experience. Mm. This guy that I was very close with, and we kind of did everything together, Mm -hmm. and... You know, it's very typical stuff in this climate. Yes. It's core belief, different stuff. Yeah. Everything's very polarizing right now. People are digging their heels in. But my question is, was this friend ever the problem or was it just the friend's husband? And if the friend's admitting that she's feeling like she's recognizing some of this stuff too and wants to talk about it and you miss your friend, I don't think a conversation can hurt. You've already ended the friendship. It's not going to be so hard yeah. to keep it ended if it if the conversation doesn't go well or the lunch doesn't go well. But if you do have a lunch and you can talk about it and you can both voice your thoughts and feelings, you might be able to have your friend back. I do feel like this is something where you can have a conversation, especially since the original problem is rooted in the husband and then the friend saying that she had this internalized homophobia herself. That's pretty brave to say. 
It totally is. And if you do miss your friend, you could, in that conversation, say that you don't feel open to, right now or ever, being in a social situation with her husband if he isn't coming around. But it's tricky because you don't want to stay in those waters for too long if you're not feeling good or good about yourself. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, can you just meet for lunch and see how it goes and then make your decision after that? Yeah. Sounds like it's been a couple years if you're still missing her. It feels like it's worth a a meeting. Yeah. With my friend, we had a few meetings over the years and we would connect and we would talk. But man, it was just like no real common ground anymore. Oh, Does it become more clear the more conversations? I think for both of us, I mean, we just moved on. Yeah. If I ran into him, I'd be friendly and hellos and how are you? And we'd probably share a laugh about something. But boy, are we like polar opposites on where we've gone socially, politically, all of that stuff. You've moved on. Yeah, yeah. I also want to say... There was a teacher at my high school, Mm -hmm. and she had very different feelings and views from me on a variety of issues. And we connected on a friend level when I was in school. Mm -hmm. Didn't really keep in touch. And then reconnected on social media. And I saw so much that she had posted that was very open and loving and... I was so fascinated and I was like, hey, do you want to have lunch? When I was going through Texas again, we went to lunch and I told my wife, I said, I really want to ask her very pointedly. Yeah. You used to do this. You used to say these things. Yeah. These were the thoughts. And I'm so curious. It seems like you're not that way anymore. And she did not have any defensiveness. She owned everything she thought, said, did. And she said, I just had a complete awakening that I had these thoughts and feelings based on the way I was raised. And they were actually not my thoughts Mm -hmm. and not my feelings. She probably loved that you asked her so that she could have that conversation with you because she probably wasn't going to sit down and be like, hey, you're gay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't feel comfortable sharing about my life because I thought she had certain feelings. And now it's like... I've seen her when I've gone back to Texas. She's met my wife and kids. I love that. Yeah. And I'm so impressed when people have a change of heart and become more open and have those conversations. And can recognize that their thoughts weren't necessarily their own. It's sort of the climate that they were born into and what they Mm -hmm. were taught. And all that to say, I think this guy should give his old friend just a chance, a lunch. Mm-hmm. There's no strings attached. No, nope. you're not signing up for a lifelong friendship. Peter, good luck. Write in and let us know if you have an update. Yes, please. Caitlin, here's our final listener question. All right. Ellen writes, how do I gently help my husband remember to turn off a burning stove when he's <laughs> done using it? He doesn't often walk away from or forget a burning stove, but it has happened multiple times now. He always feels terrible about it, so I don't want to get upset at him after the fact, but I really don't know how to help him remember and really think I should. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot. You're well, the one with the husband. I am, but I'm also the one with yeah. two little boys, and it sounds like she's talking about her children. I mean, why can't 
he come up with his own system for how to remember to turn off the stove. Is is he cooking or is he cleaning up? Either way, there should be a timer, right? Like a Mm -hmm. little egg timer by the stove. But how will he even remember to do the egg timer? Well, we have cast iron pans. I love cooking with a cast iron pan. Okay. But when you clean the pan, you scrub it, no soap. Yeah. Come on, seasoned. But then you Mm -hmm. put it back on and, and you can't let it It's got to be dry or it'll rust. Uh So I turn on the burner. Nine times Uh out of 10, I'm going to walk away and forget that it's on. And every time I'm like, I'm not going to forget. It's right in front of me. Just going to finish the rest of the dishes. And then I always forget. So I set the little, I set my egg timer. I just do it. It's just part of the routine. Make it a routine. I mean, if it's really an issue, it also seems like your husband maybe shouldn't be using the stove <laughs> when you're not around. <laughs> but what you I'm know? saying, is he a child? I don't understand why it's her <laughs> job to help him remember. Does he need a checklist? I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I will I, say I if he's cooking, then God bless. Yeah. You know, that's kind of great that he's preparing it, meals. It might be all for himself though. Oh, but I I don't know. Who oh, knows? That just took a dark turn. <laughs> Why can't he feed her as well? That's the darkest this podcast has ever gone and ever will go. I was going to suggest a timer as well, but then I started to think if I had this issue, I could picture Stephanie saying, you are not allowed to use the stove unless <laughs> somebody else is here. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I guess you just got to make a joke about it. I want to know how he, he feels bad. Mm-hmm. Huh. Ellen, since Caitlin and I both thought a timer is a good idea. Yeah. That should happen. Maybe put it right there in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Get a cute one. Get a cute one. Yeah. Or you could even put a timer in the pots and pans. Oh. Like where the drawers are or where where you keep your pots and pans. I'd be weird if I knew. That's what I'm saying. We have so many follow-up questions. Right. Maybe get a few timers and put them in a few different places. Oh, geez. And I don't know. Caitlin, this is why the show's called Don't Ask Tig. Okay, yeah, that sounds like a mess of timers. Get one cute timer. An egg. An yeah, egg yeah, timer. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I, uh, again, like, is he, co- is if he's cooking dinner, like, and he's taking uh-huh. the food out and he's just forgetting to turn the oven off? Or did we say stove, like stove top? Stove. Yeah, like flames a, a flying. I don't know how you forget to, I mean, when the pot's done boiling the water, everything goes off. I don't, I don't. Or maybe it's a stove that's electric stove. Even still, I think, gosh, if you have kids or a little kitty walking around. Oh, yeah. The poor kitty. <sighs> it's a timer, Ellen. It's a It's a timer. timer. And if you want to take it to an extreme level, just be like, look, you have to use a microwave or you got to make a sandwich, you know? Turn it into a fun joke and he's banned from the stove. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe he's got to call you every time he turns it off. You know, maybe there's some accountability. If he's on board and he feels bad, you know what I'm saying? Or he calls you when he's starting to cook. Uh-huh. But also, what if she can't answer her phone? He's got to learn how to get a timer (laughs) or he can only make salads and sandwiches when nobody's home. Yeah. Open a bag of nuts. Yeah. Ellen, open a bag of nuts. Mm -hmm. Let us know if that works out. Caitlin, I need you to help me with one last thing. Okay. Called Name That Thing. Okay. Name That Thing. 
This is the part of the show where we help people figure out what to call their stuff. Okay. We've named a range of things from a saxophone to a pub night trivia team. Oh. The only catch is that whatever name we come up with is legally binding. Oh. The listener must use it. Okay. Okay? Yeah. You ready? Mm -hmm. Sarah writes... I like the idea of making meatballs with Impossible Burger or some other faux meat, but what do you call a meatless meatball? Mm. My 14 and 11-year-old suggest balls. Please, Tig and guest, you have to help come up with something better. I can't stand the idea of my son calling them balls. Well, balls is going to be in there whether she likes it or not, right? Unless you make them square. Mm. Or triangles. Well, she doesn't have a problem with the word meatballs, right? But it's not meat. Right. So if they're like faux balls or something. Faux balls. You know? Yeah. Or Im- impossible. Impossibles. Impossible. Impossibles. There you go. That's good. Meatballs and impossibles. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Next. I mean, that was easy. Wow. Yeah. I guess you should ask too. Yeah. That was the right time to ask Tig. My faux balls wasn't working, but I have to say it kind of led you to it. So I feel like it was a good assist on my part. <sighs> you want to take full credit? Yeah, okay. I don't feel like I needed you. Okay. When did we meet? In like 2005 or something? You've been thinking of this since 2005? That's not that impressive. No, I'm just pointing out that I haven't needed you for so many years. You don't think you've needed me. But think of all the things that I could have helped with had I just been around for all of that time. Yeah. Maybe impossibles would have come to you on your own, and maybe that wouldn't have. You don't know. This is where we are now, okay? Just embrace it mm-hmm. and say okay. thank you, and then let's move on. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Sarah, call these meatless meatballs impossibles. And trademark them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bon appetit to you and your kids. <laughs> Caitlin, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I had a blast. I want to name more things. We'll have to do this again. Okay, but it's name more things. Oh, yeah. I'd like to name more things. Is that better? Okay. Yeah, that's much better. Thanks for correcting me. I love you. Impossibles. Impossibles. I love you as well, and I'm happy to see your mug again. I'm so happy to see you too. Let's do it again soon. That would be fun. Do you have anything you would like to promote to the masses? Yes, actually. My movie with Woody Harrelson is coming out on March 10th. It's called Champions. It's Woody and myself and a team of Special Olympics uh, basketball players. And it's really funny and really sweet. And I think that um, you guys will love it. So go see it. That's awesome. In theaters, March 10th. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. (laughs) And I look forward to our our in-person meeting soon. Me too. Nice to see you. You too. Goodbye. Bye. That's what your heart is for
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shana Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Maria Wirtel. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 